If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In today's episode, I'm speaking with the gorgeous Jen. Jen lives in South Australia with her almost four-month-old daughter, Beatrice. Just a heads up, you might want the tissues ready. So welcome to the podcast tonight, Jen. I am really excited to share your story with everyone listening. And I thought we could start by just uh, getting some background as to what led you to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Sure. Well, um, thank you, first of all, for having me on the podcast. I I really, I've listened to all the episodes. I think it's really great resource um, and it helps to normalise the choices that we've made. Um, I've recommended it to some people. Mm-hmm. I listen to it. I, I really love hearing the different ways that people have, have grown their families. So thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> I, I guess I always assumed that one day I would become a mother um I never I was never particularly open about that desire I, I had there was something about where I don't know that the time that I grew up the influences that I had that I, I thought I mean this is going really kind of deep into the psyche of it but I thought that mm, career had to be first mm-hmm. um, that I had to be a, a kick-ass career woman and that to admit to wanting a family was a little bit of a cop-out. And, and I know that that's not the case now that I have a baby. My God, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. But I don't know where I picked that up. There was something about the time and place that I that I grew up in the, in the 90s and, and this idea that you had, it had to be a ball-breaking feminist. That yeah. It was a weak thing to want a baby. So I, I just thought it would happen eventually, but that I would get this other stuff done first. And I, and I have, I've travelled and I've got a career that I love and I've had some really fantastic adventures along the way. But I got to my mid-30s and um, hadn't met somebody uh, appropriate, shall we say, to have a baby with. Um, and a friend of mine works in um, fertility. She's a, she's a scientist. And she said, Jen, everybody's freezing their eggs. Freeze your eggs. It's no big, no big thing. So at 36, I froze some eggs, mm-hmm. but I still thought, I still thought 
I got time. Like I, I and I did have time. Um, but it was your little just, insurance fund, just in case. It was my insurance fund. Yeah, yeah. And I got. I think I got nineteen. I got. I did two rounds, and I got nineteen um, eggs. And for me, it wasn't. It. I know it can be um, physically like quite a challenge for some people, but it, it really didn't. It wasn't such a big deal for me. So, um, it was fine. Anyway, time went on. Kept making bad choices when it. <laughs> men that is a whole nother thing and, and I won't go into that but and there was a bit of um being drawn to bright sparkly fun um artistic creative entertaining types who were just um had their heads so far up their own asses <laughs> that they were like children themselves um but very nice people I'm sure but just not not um not what I needed in terms of a relationship um, so got to then about, where was I, 37, I moved from Melbourne back to Adelaide where my family is. Um, and I guess I had it in my mind that I might be going in this direction um, when I moved back and I thought I want to be near my family. Mm -hmm. Houses were, were affordable here then, um, they've gone up, but, you know, it was a better bet to buy a house here than in Melbourne. Um, and I... I think I went to see a fertility specialist when I was maybe 38 or 39 and I just just couldn't move forward with it for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I, I reckon I took a couple of years of working through uh, feelings of shame, feelings of um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about those in why. I, I think there was some there was guilt, there was shame. There was grief. I was really surprised by the grief. Um, the guilt. The guilt is the whole having a child without a father. How could you do that? You know. And I've got a really close relationship with my dad, um, but it's awesome because now my baby is forming a close relationship with my dad. So yeah. not all dads are great dads. Um, um, so. There was a bit of guilt. There was there was shame because you know you, one absorbs throughout one's life this idea that there is a proper way to have a family, and um, it serves oh, doesn't serve everybody. Um, I think a lot of people are unhappy in relationships and marriages. There are some relationships that I absolutely covet and and I and I adore and in a way that makes me more determined not to settle because I look at those relationships and I Obviously. think I haven't found that yet yeah. you know and I might be 60 when I find that or, or I might not um and you know it doesn't mean that that people who are single haven't had love and had beautiful um growth experiences it just doesn't always settle and land in the same way yeah grief that was interesting that was again that was um letting go of an idea of how I thought it would be yeah um anyway so I took a couple of years in 2020 early 2020 um I got to the point where I had the login details for the California cryobank which is um who I ended up going with for the sperm I, I was on a waiting list for the Adelaide local donors and I never even got to see the list um because there are so few um, but I also kind of didn't want an Adelaide donor because Adelaide is a really small place. <laughs> and I just had visions of my childhood as a teenager, like, you know, um, like making out <laughs> with somebody who <laughs> ended up being related to her because, you know, it's Adelaide. 
Anyway, so got the login details. I couldn't even log in and look through them without just being overwhelmed with emotion. Like I just, it took me months and months. And then I, and then I did, and I thought, oh, that person looks, that guy looks all right. You know, I, I like that guy. Eventually got it down to two people, but I was still just umming and ahhing. And then just about when COVID started to be a big thing, um, my mum was diagnosed with um, breast cancer. Okay. And yeah, and it's a, it's a pretty aggressive form of breast cancer. Um, and so the world went crazy. And at the same time, you know, my mum was getting treatment. Um, she had a lot of um, chemo, a lot of radio. She had mastectomy and her lymph nodes removed. And we knew it wasn't a very hopeful um, prognosis. Um, but I think I always thought that she'd, she'd be all right because it's my mum and you can't really imagine your parents going, leaving. Um, I, I couldn't. So then she, things were looking okay. And then um, January 2021, yeah. um, she was having some headaches. And so they did a brain scan and she had dark spots on her brain um, and it ended up being that the, the cancer had metastasized into her brain and so she had five days in a row of chemo sorry radiotherapy directly to her brain she moved the last the friday's appointment earlier in the day so she could get a ferry with me over to kangaroo island to to spend a few days with my brother and his family who, who were visiting this, this beautiful property you know she was really determined so she was there with a red face from the chemo with her walking stick mm. coming to the beach with us and my brother piggybacked her up a hill one time because she couldn't get back up anyway we're waiting for the ferry to go over there and I I just said mom I'm not going to wait any longer like this is ridiculous so um we picked the donor who had two sorry <laughs> and um there was one with great health record great family background I think this guy's you know visual artist sister's an actor talked talked about his relationship with his family it is an audio uh, recording of an interview that they do with the donor so you can hear their voice and I'm, I'm a voice coach and, and an actor so the voice is really something for me and he just sounded so warm and and the girl who was interviewing him was sort of giggling and uh, like like she was sort of a bit um I don't know taken with him and I just yeah. thought he's a charming kind person anyway so we picked I sent an email through from the ferry station and um I did another round of egg collection just at this point I was for early 40s mm -hmm. um but I still had quite a few eggs because I've had a PCOS um polycystic ovarian syndrome for those people who don't know um diagnosis in the past so I've still got quite a lot of eggs cranking away there so got some more eggs, thawed out some of my older eggs, um, got, I think I got, I think 19 of 21, hang on, what did, what happened? And I ended up with five or six embryos anyway. Oh, wow. right. Yeah, one went in fresh, um, that one didn't stick, um, and then I had the others tested. They found one that was definitely good, three that were that they that they had didn't have enough um, from that they couldn't get results from one mosaic so not usable one definitely good and three who knows they put the good one in um, that was my little frozen for my first frozen transfer mum was with me I held, I held my hand um, and that's my daughter 
so yeah, that's my story. Um, and wouldn't have it any other way now because she's, you can't, you can't regret when you, when you have a child, you can't regret how they came to be because they, they wouldn't be who they are. If it had been a, if it hadn't been that donor, if it had been a partner from the past, you know, she wouldn't be who she is. Um, and how beautiful that you got to have your mum involved in the selection process as well. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. And she was chuffed, you know, she was so behind the whole thing. Um, even when, when she was in the hospital and she, she got a bit fuzzy, you know, in her brain, but she would sort of say to the nurses, well, I've got to be around in January. I'm going to be around in January. She didn't quite make it. We lost her in August. Um, but she, yeah, she was there for the transfer. She was there the first time we heard the heartbeat Beautiful. and she was there for the 13 week scan, which is when you see their little bodies, you know, really looking like a baby. And then we lost her two weeks later. We didn't know until a week before she died that, that, um, the condition that she had a, a condition that, um, a kind of a, a what's the word? A, 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 yeah. A condition that go that is an end stages, um, uh, disease that, that can happen with cancer. So we thought she was going into remission and then one week before she died, we took her in for some, to give my dad a bit of a break, um, for some respite. And um, they said, no, this is, we think there's this thing going on. And then they did a scan and it was. So it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, yeah, pretty full on couple of years. So you were 15 weeks when you... I was 15 weeks pregnant, yeah. yeah. Wow. How did you navigate that? Well, pregnant, um, I can only imagine I'm trying not to cry. You're trying not to cry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm glad. For, for me, the first trimester was really difficult in terms of uh, hormones and, and emotional changes. Um, I'm a pretty emotional person at the best of times, so don't hide it, not ashamed of it, but... I, and I'd been warned about the hormones, but oh boy, um, I was pretty down in the first three months okay. and nauseous. I wasn't really vomiting, but I would just had that, you know, that metallic -y taste and that kind of constant, you just have to eat junk food. <laughs> I felt kind of hungover and needed all of the carbs every day. Every day. And yet you don't have the, the, the fun of going out and having some drinks and just like nothing solves it you just try to nothing. eat everything in the world and you're like why do I still feel like this and, and you're, you're going am I hungry or am I nauseous or am I both and uh there's no yeah there's nothing really to fix it like you said um I just remember thinking I can't wait to just have like ha not have that taste in my mouth that mm -hmm. kind of thing anyway so so then but the second trimester I felt a lot better this is my point so I'm glad that that it happened later yeah. if it had happened the first trimester I honestly I don't know how I would have dealt with it um the but I was quite positive in my my second trimester maybe some happy hormones were kicking in um and I'm not saying it was a happy experience losing my mum but it was more there was more joy in the whole package of that experience than I had anticipated. I didn't know what death was because we don't talk about it. We, we don't, I don't think we talk about it openly, um, but my dad and my brother and, and I and my mom's sister and, and her, her brother were there as well. Um, we had a whole week in the hospice with her. She was unconscious, but 
we were holding her hand, we were um, stroking her head, we were joking that, you know, she was probably going, oh, just get off, just, you know, leave me alone, give me a break, man. But we were, we were all, we were, I was lying, we were cuddling her, I would like crawl onto her bed, you know, and we, we were just talking, like telling stories and that I've never heard and, and, and laughing and, and joking and there was so much love and it was such an honour to, to be with her through that time. And um, in many ways there was the, the joy of the joy in that week and the grief in that week and the, the, the difficulty is almost equal to having a baby that it's, it's neither one is pure joy and neither one is pure grief. Mm-hmm. All, I, I almost think that having B has been harder in some ways, which is a really weird thing to say. Because having lost my dad, I can kind of. Kinda I, I think that. the grief of like losing someone, especially a parent, it, it just like stretches. I think it's, it's always going to be there. I keep thinking, no, no, it's a mistake right like oh no she's gonna someone's gonna call up and go no sorry it was it's, that was someone else that's your mum's coming over in a second because you don't think your parents can leave no you I know? get the whole oh I must tell dad that and it's, and it's been four years and I'm like oh yeah. can't that's right <laughs> yeah, yeah or just want a mum hug like you know um but I think with the baby it's just so damned intense um and you, well, I don't know if everybody is, but I was just, again, filled with these hormones that from the minute she was born, are, I guess, fiercely protective, but they, for me, became kind of adrenaline-y and, and a little bit anxious and um, not, I don't have, I'm, I don't have postnatal anxiety or depression or anything like that. I think it's perfectly normal. Mm. Um, it's just full on. Like the sleep deprivation is one thing, but this fierce love it's a heavy love I mean it's amazing but it is like putting something on your shoulders and and you know that weight is never coming off I wouldn't have it any other way but holy moly it's huge (laughs) you're just like yep (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah three years of it so yeah (laughs) yeah and I and it's you know and I I guess you people say yeah that never goes away really it just changes slightly I think yeah, but even uh, now, I'm still convinced. When I go to get her in the morning, if I if she doesn't wake up and I have to wake her up, that something's happened to her. Mm. But I don't think that's ever going away. I'll probably be there when she's forty still, if I'm still alive. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. So yeah, um, two experiences that were not what I thought that they would be. Mm. I'm sure being pregnant at that time would have been somewhat cathartic and helpful when you're going through that grief of your mum though and that there was some at least some positive things for your family to focus on as well with all that grief for your mum yeah I think so uh, it was I mean it was I guess it was a distraction in, in a way for me but also yeah for sure it was something positive to focus on and um yes for my family as well and I think for mum's friends you know they've been just beautiful in their care and support and sort of like They've like taken the mum role and divided it up between them, and you know they're dropping. Okay, how many honorary grandmothers do you have? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So, and my dad, you know, it's the, the relationship between my daughter and my dad is, like I said, it's just beautiful. It's really, it's gorgeous. So, yeah. So obviously, very traumatic at fifteen weeks. How did the rest of the pregnancy go? Pretty good. Um, I was expecting all sorts of complications because I was 
40. I turned 41 a month before she was born. Mm -hmm. So I was 40. I was really lucky. I didn't have gestational diabetes. I was, I was expecting to get that. Um, I had, I was induced at 39 weeks, but that was kind my obstetrician was kind of like, no, oh, look, you know, we don't, you don't need to, but I guess it's a bit safer to do that just in terms of the, the fact that the risks go up in the last few weeks when you're uh, geriatric. Nobody ever used that term, by the way. Nobody ever used that term. Thank goodness. I think my, I, my OB did once to be really? funny. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, mine was, she was awesome. She was so, man, when I got like a lot of the, the medical staff, like the people who did my scans, my obstetrician were women older than me, right? And they were all so supportive of what I'm doing it was there it was almost like damn I wish I'd have done that <laughs> like yeah. there was a little element of you go girl like it was cool but um was I what was I talking I've lost my training nine weeks induced induced at 39 weeks that's right um so it was a bit of a compromise of like let's you know let's not do it too early because there's risks involved in that as well but um but let's let's just make sure it's you're as safe as you can be and the baby's as safe as you can be and so I went in and I had, I said, so my sister, my brother's wife, my sister-in-law, Sal, who's beautiful, was my birth partner. And I said to her, just come in in the morning. I'm going in the evening to get the gels to, you know, to um, soften the cervix. Um, but then I'll just sleep and just come in in the morning because then the obstetrician's going to break my waters. And, and my brother said, Jen, just, it's pretty scary. You're probably going to be, just let her come in, let her come in. She's a nurse as well. She's amazing. And I'm glad that I did because, because they put the gels in. Um, I slept for a couple of hours. I woke up going, oh, I feel a bit dodged, had a shower. And then I said to Sally at three o'clock in the morning, um, could you time these rough patches? Because they feel like they're getting worse and they were five minutes apart and they were contractions. <laughs> so at about three o'clock in the morning, I went in, into labour and just before 9am, my daughter was born lucky that you got it to stay overnight in other ways incredible and so that was the time that it was all going to start was, yeah. was time. so I was texting people going um this is this is B and they're like what actually no I hadn't I hadn't confirmed her I hadn't like settled on her name yet I, I was pretty sure it was going to be um Beatrice but I I, I needed a few days with her first yeah. yeah I can say from experience you should be very grateful that your waters weren't broken for you because that was not pleasant Ugh. they did that to me and I was like uh if that's that bad I don't know how I'm gonna have a baby but <laughs> actually you know what I lie mine well I don't lie but I I did have my waters broken but I was already in labor so I <laughs> and also I'd had an epidural because I got to like it just happened so fast and also epidural is the best thing I've ever had in my life and oh my god I slept from about five to six, five a.m. to six a.m., and then they said, "Oh, your contractions are slowing down." Then they broke my waters. So I just watched baking shows because mum was during the day. So it's oh, God, it's so wild. I mean, look, I total respect for people who choose to have a baby. However, um, but I don't know if I could have. I mean, I guess I would have done it. I would have gotten through, but I didn't feel like I could have at the time. I've heard of people that have the epidural before they even really go into active labour. Yeah, same. My, my obstetrician was like, yeah, she's like, do you want to pre-book it? And I'm like, nah, look, 
I'm going to do these like breathing things. I'm going to stomp my feet. I'm going to yell. I'm going to, and that got me through a little bit. <laughs> but um, <laughs> then I was like, <laughs> I was vomiting as well. So my labor was pretty okay, but I was just throwing up everything. It was That was pretty gross. Um, aside from that though, pretty quick. And then I didn't have, I had one internal stitch, like one small tear. Um, she's an incredible feeder, like just, latched immediately I was incredibly lucky like I, I breastfeeding is hard enough when it's going right but to struggle with that would just be hell like I'm really really grateful that she's a good feeder so it's unfortunate but you're one of the rare ones that have had that and that's that's I still can't quite get my head around why there are so many people that struggle with it it's just not I was one of the ones who struggled with it as well yeah 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 I don't know it I mean, almost I, feels like I, the minority find it easy and it's like surely it shouldn't be that way I mean what's happening but that's the situation I don't know yeah I, I don't know I mean I the, the midwives were beautiful at the hospital I was at Burnside here in Adelaide mm-hmm. um but I really think it's because I had a my baby just knew she just knew like she she got in there and she brought my milk on do you know like I was just like wow this kid knows what she's doing totally like it, I think it was a couple of hours after she was born she I could she started doing the mouth things mm-hmm. I said to the like you know started to kind of indicate that she was hungry and I said to the midwife I think she needs a feed and the midwife said oh I'll I'm just going on break I'll help you when I get back and I was like no I don't want to I don't want to leave her waiting the first time she asks me for something like so another midwife helped and yeah just straight on it so I yeah I think it's just I'm lucky to have a baby who was born hungry. <laughs> yeah. So, and she's growing well and um, she's a really happy little thing. She's going through a bit of a sleep regression at the moment. So some days are pretty tough. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't think anyone gets away with, without having some of those days. There's got to be some. Nobody's perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I'm in the thick of it at the moment, but, you know, um, people say that you, you get back to your old self a bit more. So we're four months in. How have you found the first four months apart from the, the sleep progression? Is it what you thought it would be? Um, no, because I don't know that you can really, I don't think, it's, I think it's one of those things that you just, you can't fully know what it's going to be like. Um, I had a lot of people, well-meaning people say, Give me advice, right? Um, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, no. A lot of people said the first six weeks, it's it's hell. It's awful. It's so hard. Or that varied. People said six weeks to three months to whatever they thought it was for them. Mm. And so I I guess I thought I'll just get through this. I'll get through this and then it will be fine. <laughs> it will be easier. And for me, the first six weeks wasn't hell. It, it wasn't super easy. but she kind of settled into, she's not in a routine now, but she sort of just settled into a routine as a newborn. Um, and I, and at the time I thought, God, I wish people hadn't said that to me because I've been so anxious about it. Mm. You know, I, th- I think the anxiety when you're already tired of people saying, oh, just wait till you hit this point is worse than just, just seeing what it's going to be like for you. The amount of people that's like, oh, but just wait until X, Y, Z. Oh. It's like, 
stop it. <laughs> it's not helpful. And, 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 and not everyone goes through it as well. And just right. because you struggle doesn't mean everyone else will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you just be like, I'm really glad that you're doing well this week, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I know, I guess it's people who, yeah, A, A, they're trying to help by trying to, to tell you to be prepared. Um, and But B, they maybe need some support, you know, and it's their way of saying that they're struggling with wherever they're at. Um, but I do, I do, I, did, I was reading, I read, I didn't read a whole lot before the birth. I read one really, really good book, um, Birth Skills, I think it's called, Juju, some physiotherapist. Um, and it was recommended by a midwife. And it's about like, yeah, moving during labour, making noise, stomping your feet, using stress balls, like really not, um, really being active and, and using using your body um, to kind of distract from the pain, which only yeah. works to a certain extent for me. But um, I, I read a little bit of another book about, you know, calm birth. And it said, if people start telling you horror stories, walk away or, or, or ask them to stop and look up. Yeah, look up positive stories because you need to set yourself up. Like the yeah, like like I said, the anxiety is is sometimes worse than the event. Mm. Um, and my labor, like yeah, there were a couple of hours before they had the epidural that I was like, I can't, I can't, I, I now know why people can't describe the pain of of a um, contraction. I now understand why you cannot describe it, but. The rest of it was okay, you know. Um, and yes, when I when after the birth, I was like leaking from everywhere that your body can leak. <laughs> you know, you're walking around holding a holding an infant whilst trying to change, you know, a maternity pad is um, a challenge that we all come must come to. Um, but. The really glamorous side of childbirth. Yeah. So glamorous. It's and you just become this life-sustaining machine, don't you? Like in some ways, isn't it nicer not to have a partner around doing that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny the identified so um, and beautiful and yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I couldn't imagine. It would have to be someone that you just trusted implicitly, wouldn't wouldn't it? Um imagine having to try to deal with negative dynamics in a relationship and deal with a baby but anyway I remember the pediatrician came into the hospital room to check on me and I was there I think I had I was in my undies and I probably had my boobs out because that's you just are half the time yeah. like I've definitely walked out of the house with my bra if not my boob out. <laughs> she walked in and I said oh sorry I, I don't have any pants on she's like oh, that's fine like you've got a really good reason she said it's when the partners are walking around the rooms without pants she said that's that's what's that's not concerning. Cool. yeah that's concerning yeah, yeah yeah she was awesome um oh boy, gosh hmm. people say it flies by when they're babies um yeah. it doesn't when you're in it <laughs> um maybe it does and it doesn't at the same time like in the middle of the night it doesn't fly by um I think the thing that really helped me was when I realised that um, I was going to have to do the night feeds regardless. So it was letting go of any idea of um, resisting or or resenting. And I quite like them now. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm tired, but you're in this little cocoon. 
It's just you and your bub. It's quiet. There's nothing else going on. And it's just this beautiful, intimate moment. And when it's going well, it's just, it's a really beautiful thing. Um, and I will miss it when it stops. But it was when I had, <laughs> it was when I had an idea that I could somehow control what was going to happen. That's when I struggled. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You've let go of yeah. that. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. Yep. Um, I sometimes find it hard to ask for help, but I have had to. Um, there are a few people that I go to and I really trust them and they kind of cop the, the brunt of <laughs> me asking for help, but I've had to ask more people, you know, and, I, and I've had to start listening when people have offered help. Well, you know, people say, um, let me know if you need me to take the baby for an hour or this or that. And I've just sort of realised that I'm going to have to take them up on that. It's, it's a reoccurring trend with lots of us who go down this journey that we're not very good at asking for help or accepting it. We're all very fiercely yeah. independent. So it's a big learning curve for us to, to yeah. let go and allow ourselves to be helped, I think. So you're definitely exactly. not alone with that one. And and it's also that, and also going into it, um, having made the choice to do it alone as well, I've also had an element of, well, I don't have the right to, to burden people with um, helping me because I made the choice to do it alone. Yeah. It was my choice. It was a willing choice. I should then be able to deal with it. But so saying that, have you had any negativity from anyone since you made that decision? No, no, I haven't. Are people so would anyone say to you, you made the choice, so therefore you have to deal with it? No. <laughs> hell no, hell no. <laughs> Actually, I don't think anyone has been negative. I'll just say she's woken up and then she's put herself to sleep again. Oh, good and girl. that makes me so happy. <laughs> um, uh, I haven't had negativity, negativity from anybody. Um, and, like, I, I work in the arts, so people are pretty, I guess, pretty progressive. Um and I've had lots of offers to be gay uncles if, if you need a gay uncle, you know. I've um, got two currently, but I'm always open to more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm like, don't don't joke about it. You, I will be calling you to come and have play dates. Like, excellent. Um, yes. Yeah, so I don't think I've had I've had one person kind of question me, but I think that person, like, so you don't know the father. Um, was one question and then what will happen if she when you know she so she won't get to meet him or something and then I had to explain mm. the known the known um the ID release donor laws which I don't know if it's a national thing or a South Australian thing but the American donors have to agree to be ID release donors which means when the child gets to 18 they can choose to contact that donor so that was that was quite important um to me I think that that's every state there's definitely Victoria as well yeah right but I think from everyone I've talked to I think it's every state yeah yeah not a bad thing no no I think yeah and I think any kind of any studies that you know uh, suggest that there's there's damage done to children you know who are adopted or children who are donor conceived or anything is the damage is in is in hiding things from them yeah. from my understanding um yeah so I think that that person was a little bit blunt but I don't think they intended to be I think it was just that they weren't reading the room um nobody else has been negative um or if they have they haven't 
being negative to my face, which is fine. They can think what they want. You know, that's their business. It's funny going into it, though, that you assume people have a negative idea about it. But in my yeah, case, yeah. certainly everyone's like, oh, my God, you're so brave. Or I wish I had done it too. And I'm so jealous. And Yeah, yeah. Or, or like, how do you positive. do it? You know? Mm. Yeah. Um, you just do it. Um, yeah, I think, I think for me, the fear of people saying something negative was, and this is, again, probably a bit of a deep dive into my psychology, was more about my own um, self-criticisms being reflected in other people because ultimately it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks if you don't agree, if you in your heart don't agree with it. So I was worried that people would say something and it would it would reveal that I felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was worried that I would have those feelings probably right up until she was born. Um, now, and, and it was weird because I kind of felt like a little bit like my pregnancy wasn't as legit or, or celebrate um, what's um, celebratable mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as other people's. It, I just had this sort of thing where it's like wasn't as, as real or as legit. Um, now that I have her, it's, it's, you just don't even, I don't give a shit how she came to be. It's as hard and as rewarding and as real and as, as incredible as, as any other family. I have to say I still sometimes get a little bit of, sort of envy when I see pregnant couples and see like an attentive um, husband, partner, whatever. And it's just like, oh, you know, I didn't have that. And it's still, yeah. it's still there in the back of my mind. But other than that, oh. I think I like, have someone to celebrate and go to all those appointments with you. That, that, yeah, you? That, that would have been cool. But like, you know, my 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 mum came and then my dad came and, it, you know, they loved it. Um, and I and I was happy to to take them along. Um, I wanted someone to rub my feet for sure. They hurt so badly. Oh my God. I hobbled after I had B. Did you, did you get soft? Oh my God, my feet. I think everyone gets really weird symptoms that nobody talks about. Like I had pins and needles in my hands. I'd wake up and all my arms would be numb. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. About halfway on. It's like, why did nobody tell me that this is just a pregnancy thing? Oh, your body just, yeah, it goes to shit. But yeah. So my hands, but yeah, my feet. So, um, I was hint- I just hinted heavily to everybody um, that that I had. Did anyone take you up on it? Eventually, I think my I was visiting my my brother and his family, and he I was sitting on the couch, and he sat down on the floor and went right and grabbed my feet. Good oh, for me. That so partner would have been good for that. Cups of tea and water when you're feeding, that that'd be good. Um, and look, yeah, a good partner would be amazing. But like I've said, uh, an average or shit partner would just be a hindrance too much yeah 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 Mm. so looking back now is there anything that you think you would do differently in your journey I would say do it sooner Mm -hmm. um so that my mum could know her but like I've already said she wouldn't be I mean I wouldn't you know you don't I wouldn't know she'd be a different person and I would love that person but um, she's pretty great, so I can't regret that. I can't regret the timing. Um, I would list. I would take advice with more of a pinch of salt. I think, um, or I'd say thanks, but no thanks to people who were trying, trying to help in a way that that was overwhelming me. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything I 
I think I had to go all through that emotional turmoil. Like, I, of course, I would have liked to not, but that's just me, <laughs> you know, and it's a big thing. And I think anyone who goes into it without some pretty serious thinking and feeling is not quite um, acknowledging the gravity of the situation. I don't think there's anyone that I've met so far who hasn't gone through a massive right. mental and emotional journey to get to this point, even to make the decision, let alone what yeah. you have to go through to be successful. And and we and we have we have to do that. Other people, you know, I, I again, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not anti-relationship. I'm not. I really am not. There's some beautiful relationships out there, but some people just accidentally get pregnant, and and then. And that's fine. And they might be incredible parents, but, you know, we by default have to, we have to do counselling. We, we have to, you know, it's a big thing for us. So we really must want it and we really need to prepare for it. And we really have to have our support systems in place. Um, so any suggestion that, that we are less than is just so misguided. Respect to every, anybody who is a parent really. Um, but just, you know, equal, equal respect to all of us, I think. Mm. And so what advice would you give anyone who's kind of on the fence about making this decision or just embarking on it? Um, I would say to be careful what advice you take. <laughs> um, so uh, take this advice and just chuck it away if it's not useful to you. Um, yeah, that's one thing. I think find a couple of people who you um trust and and know well and go to them for advice do not cast your net too widely because you will go mad um that for every person that believes that in one way of you know having getting a baby to sleep there's somebody who believes the exact opposite and people get feisty about it like you know people get feel very very strongly and so it's and and you already have so many feelings and so much mum guilt just because you want to do well that um, it, it can be easy to, to go down the rabbit hole of, of, um, of, of just being overwhelmed with that expectation that you put upon yourself. So keep, keep it simple. <laughs> um, you need your support network. So everybody says that and it's so true. Um, so uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. Be easy on yourself. You know, I guess I'm talking about once you've made the decision to do it, but if you're thinking about doing it, um, I think, yeah, it's hard. But you people know that. It's good. it's hard either way, whether you do it alone or if you, whether you don't do it. I don't think you can be a parent. I don't think there's an easy way to be a parent. So if you want to be a parent, um, this is just as, as wonderful a way as, as any other way to do it. Um, just yeah look after yourself I guess that's the last thing I'll say is um it's that old um analogy of, of the oxygen mask dropping down if you don't put your own on first then you can't look after anyone else so it's really easy to to, to completely completely give yourself over to your um to your baby but you need to you need you need to be okay as well very, very good advice there, which I'm sure anybody listening will uh, take on board. <laughs> Especially the, the oxygen mask thing. That's a really great one. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the beautiful lactation consultants or so, somebody that I've crossed paths with um, uh, gave me that one. 
yeah very wise person obviously <laughs> yeah she's lovely yeah well thank you so much for sharing your story tonight it was really beautiful even if you did make me cry a couple of times <laughs> sorry <laughs> and I'm so glad you've got your beautiful bee and we're available to to share with everyone tonight I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.